let's uh, begin with, uh, first of all, let's just pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your written word and above all in the living word who is Jesus Christ. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts to what you would say to us this day. And then, Lord, having heard, may we do it by your power and in your spirit. Amen. Turning to scripture lesson this morning, reading first of all from the Gospel of John, the words of Jesus. Well, we can do Romans first if you'd like. I'm sorry, John 13. Do we have that, Scott? We also have Philippians. I could start with Philippians and go. Okay. We don't have John. All right. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just read it. How about that? That's wow. Just read it. Let me just read it. John 13. The words of Jesus. A new command I give you: Love one another, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all will know that you are my, dis my disciples if you love one another. Then turning to Romans chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Paul's letter to the Philippians, the second chapter. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then finally, these words from First. Peter. It's okay? Just listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Amen. I read about a woman the other day who got a, uh, an incorrect food order at McDonald's. It was, people behind the counter just didn't get the order right. And almost immediately, she became very agitated. She just wasn't getting satisfaction, I guess, from the teenagers who were there behind the counter. So she proceeded to throw a fit. Then she took the water dispenser and poured the water all over the counter. She knocked the jar of cookies over. She knocked over the cash registers. She caused 
$1,700 of damage, all because of an incorrect food order. Apparently, she didn't get a cheeseburger. What's with people? Every year on Black Friday, we are treated to video of people who are rushing into stores, knocking one, one another over, trying to get to the very few items that the store has on sale, and they, they come to blows, right? The people come to blows. You've got to call in the police. I mean, really? I remember watching a Little League game once. And there was some play, some dispute over some play, and immediately the two coaches ran out onto the field, into the infield, and they began to have it out with each other. I don't know where the umpire was, but the two coaches were at each other's throat. And they cursed each other, and they, they yelled, and they, they kicked dirt, and basically made fools of themselves. How wonderful for so-called adults to show such a model of rudeness and unsportsmanlike behavior to a bunch of impressionable 11 and 12-year-olds. I mean, really. I mean, I was aghast. I couldn't believe it. But then again, back, way back when, I was a Little League umpire. I know about incivility not only from coaches, but from parents. Sometimes parents are the worst. What's with people? There is a veritable epidemic of incivility in our society today. In case you haven't noticed, I think it's getting worse. Professor of Johns Hopkins University, Pierre Forney, wrote a book entitled The Civility Solution, What to Do When People Are Rude. And he says, in today's America, incivility is on prominent display in the schools where bullying is pervasive, in the workplace where there's an increasing number who are more stressed out by coworkers than their jobs, on the roads where road rage maims and kills, in politics while, where strident intolerance takes the place of earnest dialogue, and on the web where many check their inhibitions at the digital door. And he says, nowhere is a problem of incivility more prominent than in politics with political discourse between candidates degenerating into attack ads and worse. And I don't know about you, but already the political parties are gearing up for the 2016 election. And all I can think is, oh no, here we go again. More, you know, more rudeness more inflammatory rhetoric, more polarization, more half-truths, more disrespect. It's very public. And why do campaigns have to be so darn long? I'm all in favor of Canada's rules, you know? Okay, like, what is it, three months? You're in and out. Oh, that'll never happen. According to a recent survey, 70% of us think incivility is a national crisis. 95% of us agree that the country has a rudeness problem. And the average person deals with 17 acts of rudeness per week or between two or three instances every day. 
And most of those instances of incivility that we experience are while we are driving, actually. But there is a growing number of instances that happen online. 48% of people have unfriended or blocked someone on Facebook because they were rude. And 50% of people have ended a friendship in real life because of it. I don't know what it is about the internet, but people feel quite free to you know, state their feelings in the, in the most discourteous ways. You've probably noticed, haven't you? 81% believe America's general level of rudeness is causing more violence. So when asked why, why this is, why does there seem to be an increasing level of rudeness and incivility in our society today? Many, will, many people will cite the pressures of our fast-paced living, you know, and the crowded conditions of cities. Other explanations point to the times in which we live, the values we live by, the declining sense of community, offensive and immoral entertainment media. And then there's all the stress and the insecurity that we feel. Because when you have a weak economy, and when you have unemployment, and wars, and the threat of terrorism, a hostile political environment where there's very little civility and so on, that kind of stress makes us prone to be less courteous and less kind. You just want to retreat into your castle, close the gates, and you become less tolerant of other people and of their mistakes. The author of the book on civility that I, that I mentioned, this Professor Forney, says that feelings of insecurity only exacerbate the problem. He says, when we are insecure or not sure of ourselves, for whatever reason, because the economy is bad or we're going to lose our jobs, very often we shift the burden of that insecurity upon others in the form of hostility. It's the kick the dog syndrome. You make an innocent pay for how badly you feel in order to find some kind of relief. Well, in the end, it all comes down to sheer selfishness. Because in this dog-eat-dog -dog world, you've got to look out for yourself. If someone gets in your way, then by golly, you run over them. According to uh, another professor, a Yale Law professor, Stephen Carter, more and more Americans are losing a sense of common purpose, and with it, the reason to be polite. And he says... The illusion that we travel life alone is ruining us all. He says it's, it's as though we are riding as passengers on a train and we fail to recognize that there are passengers who are traveling with us. Carter says there are no bounds to our own selfishness because there are no fellow passengers whose lives or needs or hopes we must respect. And so we've devolved into uncivil, self-centered individuals who are oblivious to everyone else. It's all about me. I had a little tea party this afternoon at four. It was very small, three guests in all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It was I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. That's not my poetry, but... I'm not sure where I got it. So then, how do we as Christians then respond to all this incivility in our, in our society? Surely it is not to add to our society's ever-expanding cesspool 
of incivility and rudeness. And yet, to be honest, Christians have often done just that. We have a reputation among many in the broader culture that Christians are judgmental and condemning. Sometimes we come across as negative, self-righteous, and accusatory. Christians have often been guilty of labeling and demonizing others who do not share our worldview. That's true. Many Christians have, have been engaged in a battle to take back America for God, and their tactics have not always been very winsome, to put it mildly. The letter of 1 Peter exhorts us, listen again to these words, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. And sadly, many Christians have not always shown gentleness and respect. Now, we may well have strong convictions, to be sure, we do as Christians. But the Bible never counsels us to beat people over the head with the gospel. Now, last week I, I quoted uh, the writer Madeline Langle. Again, I throw these words out to you as an example of how it ought to be with us. We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Boy, isn't that it? Rather than cursing the darkness and telling people they're going to hell, it's about being light, it's about being that positive example so that others will want to know the source of our light. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. In other words, we Christians ought to be different. We ought to be light rather than add to the darkness. We ought to offer hope rather than contribute to the problem. Not only ought we to model civility to the greater society in which we find ourselves, but especially in our relationships with one another. For the world is watching. Sadly, Christians have not always treated fellow Christians with common courtesy and respect. Angry debates among Christians have degenerated into name-calling and demonization. I think I mentioned not long ago when I was talking about how messy the church can be, <laughs> about the story told by our church architect. And he was telling about a time when he was called to a church. They were going over a building plan, meeting with the building uh, you know, team, the committee, this church. Thankfully, it wasn't our church, but anyway. And the, 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 the building committee just couldn't agree. I mean, they kind of came to blows. I mean, there was such a wide disagreement. And you know, it got so bad that they literally began to throw hymn books at each other. Bob Becker couldn't believe it. Christian behavior over a building? Back in the 17th century, the Puritans and Quakers were engaged in heated debates. And the great Puritan preacher Richard Baxter wrote a pamphlet in which he lumped the Quakers with, quote, drunkards, swearers, whoremongers, and sensual wretches, and other miserable creatures. And then in case he had not yet insulted them enough, he insisted that Quakers were no better than papists. <laughs> Derogatory term for Roman Catholics. That's the worst. 
Well, the Quaker leader, James Naylor, announced that he was compelled by the Spirit of Jesus Christ to respond to these harsh accusations. He proceeded to characterize his Puritan opponent as a serpent, a liar, a child of the devil, a cursed hypocrite, and a dumb dog. You know, and the sad thing is that they were dealing with some pretty important theological matters, and they could have learned a lot by, just by sitting down as Christian brothers and studying Scripture together. It could have been a friendly argument among Christians. You could have learned from each other. But unfortunately, there was too much inflammatory rhetoric in the air, and neither party heard what the other party was saying. There have always been strong disagreements among Christians, and certainly there are persons in this congregation with strong views, one way or the other, on matters of theology or denomination, affiliation, or so on. The challenge before us is this. Can we treat one another with profound courtesy and respect, knowing that we all mean well and we all want to serve, well, we all serve the same Lord? Richard Mao, who is the former president of Fuller Theological Seminary, wrote a book entitled Uncommon Decency, Christian Civility in an Uncivil World. In fact, I would recommend this book for all of us to read, Uncommon Decency. And in the book, he talks about the need to, de to develop convicted civility. I really like that term, convicted civility. It's a useful phrase. Convicted civility, says Mao, is a Christian virtue whereby we enter into public discussions with strong convictions of faith, a willingness to learn from those with whom we disagree, and a desire to honor the humanity of others. It's about not letting go of strongly felt convictions. Hear that. We can maintain those convictions while still nurturing a spirit that is authentically kind and gentle. And that isn't always easy. Those, aren't that, those two poles aren't easy to, to keep in balance, you know. Strong convictions of faith and a spirit of kindness and gentleness. Give a reason for the hope that is within you, says Peter, but do so with gentleness and kindness. And I've always thought of the church as a kind of school where we practice being Christian to one another. And this church family is a good place to practice Christian convicted civility. As Scripture says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in the end, it's really about treating one another, treating other people with profound respect, honoring them, honoring their essential humanity, honoring them even, even those with whom we strongly disagree. Respect is the affirmation of the inherent dignity, the sacred worth of every human being that every person is an unrepeated miracle, a cherished creation of God. Every person here is God's work of art. Therefore, we ought not to simply write them off or dismiss them out of hand 
or demonize them if they happen to seriously disagree with us or do something we don't like. Gary Smalley, a well-known Christian writer, speaker, um, was giving a talk at a conference that actually had to do with love and marriage. Um, but he was talking about respect and honoring people. And uh, he began his talk by, by walking over to a table, and he picked up this old dilapidated violin. I mean, the bridge was broken on this instrument, the strings were awry, and, and you know, it, it just kind of looked like a piece of junk. And so he held up this, this violin, and, he, and uh, and he said, how much do you think this, this instrument is worth? And people looking at the instrument, you know, thought, well, okay, maybe 10 bucks, <laughs> 20 bucks. And then he looked inside the violin and saw imprinted, 1723, Antonin Stradivarius. And then he took that instrument and he gave it to the people in the front row, and you know, that they treated that violin like it was a treasure. I mean, just moments before, it was a piece of junk. But all of a sudden, a Stradivarius. Oh, they held it so delicately. They, they passed it so carefully to one another. You know, nothing really changed. It was a piece of wood, strings, same broken strings. But people chose to honor it as the rare treasure that it was. Which is to say, you and I can treat people, other people, like a piece of junk, as people who have no value, writing them off, or we can treat other people as if they were a Stradivarius with profound honor and respect, realizing that the people that, the people that we live with and go to church with, and work with, bear the imprint and the image of their maker. Wow. What a difference would it make to think of other people as something like a Stradivarius, an absolute treasure, and therefore handle it with extreme care? What difference would it make in our marriage if instead of taking our spouse for granted, we began to realize what a treasure they really are to us? What difference would it make in our friendships, our association with our colleagues, our classmates, our fellow church members, to honor them even above ourselves? The English Standard Version renders Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor and respect. The medieval rabbis used to say that if we could only see, each person is preceded by a legion of angels singing, make way for the image of God. Make way for the image of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all we have to do is look to the example of our Lord. For Jesus treated every human being as the unique treasure that they were, that they are. He had time for people, people who, for whom other people have just written off, people who were poor, people who were outcasts, people who were sinners, widows, orphans, the downtrodden, the sick, the ostracized. He even honored and respected his enemies, valuing them so much 
that he was willing to go to the cross for them, forgiving them and dying for them. Love one another, he says, as I have loved you. Honor one another as I have honored you. Love one another, for love, as we all know, is patient and kind. It is not arrogant or rude. Let your attitude be the same as Christ Jesus, admonishes Paul. Just as the Lord put the needs of others above his own, just as he treated everybody with profound respect and even reverence, so too must we. We who are called to carry on his work and to model what life is like when people submit to God's gracious rule. Now, solving the incivility problem in our society, in our world, is a little bit like trying to establish peace on earth. It begins with you and me, in our family and in our church, at work, in all the relationships of daily life. You and I are called to be different. We as a community are called to be different. We are called to be light. With God's help, may we practice convicted civility with one another that the world may know that we belong to Jesus Christ. Amen.